Testing one, two, yeah. three. Do is it. that better? Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, it sounded good last week, didn't it? Yeah, I, I told Will it sounded a little a little hollow to me, but I'm going to focus on getting a little closer to yep, the mic. That's, I mean, yeah, because well, I, I, I mean, lose I'm, track of telling y'all to get closer to the well, mic. Well, I'm just a I'm a mover around her when I talk, so yeah. it's hard for me to talk sitting down. Honestly, let's be clear, you need to sit close to the mic. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you. <laughs> that's your line. Let's be clear. <laughs> let's be clear. I hear it when I'm I editing. say it all the time. Yeah, no, it's I the same like thing. That. Same thing when I write. I, I use furthermore entirely too yeah. much. Hey there, podcast listeners. My name is Scott Duvall, and you're listening to episode 17 of the Waiting Since Last Saturday podcast, a college football podcast with a distinct University of Georgia bias. Along with my co-hosts, Will Leach and Tony Waller, we'd like to thank you for tuning us in. In this week's episode, Tony, Will, and I try to come to grips with the Dogs' 4-2 and two record, the loss of Nick Chubb, and the struggles of our special teams and defense as Georgia gets ready to host SEC foe Missouri as they make their way to Sanford Stadium for a 7.30 kick this Saturday. If you like variety in your sports podcast, well, you're in the right place. Naturally, we spend the majority of the time discussing the current state of UGA football, but later in the show, Will, who has been covering the presidential debates for Bloomberg Politics, gives us his take on the recent Democratic debate, as well as his predictions on who he thinks will receive the nomination for both parties for next year's national election. And towards the end of the show, the three of us, as always, make our picks on some other regional and national games of the week. So, without further delay, here's Will. And for context purposes, we begin this episode with a quick recap of Will's 40th birthday party, which we celebrated last Saturday. I have to say, I don't know if uh, 40-year-old me and 25-year-old me would get along. Oh, uh, I think, well, I guess I think that's probably 40-year-old me would be the crap out of Yeah, that's probably true of all people. I yeah, guess. I think that's right. Well, you know, the, the, the part about missing the party, and again, I'm sorry about that. Oh, please. Um, is that... You know, I knew there was going to be some cool stuff happening, and I had a good time in Indiana, yeah. uh, which is not uh, not what a lot of people can say. Huh. But uh, I'm sorry, Kristen, if you're listening. <laughs> but the um, the the part about it that that was was been the opportunity to meet all these people who yeah. you actually read about at the end part of, of Life is a Loser, right? Yeah, it's part yeah. of the history, right? Yeah. So. Oh, well, well, it was good. It, it was really cool to have everybody be here, and uh, it was fun too. Yeah. I even saw Tommy Craig smile a couple of times, so I know it must have been fun. That's like, oh the, my god, they sent the wrong guy. Yeah, it's like the eighth or ninth time I've ever seen that in our entire friendship. So. Will he be listening to this? Uh, no, Tommy. Tommy won't do anything other than sit in a corner and rock back and forth and talk about how terrible Tommy is. Um, which is fine because Tommy's a genius. Which is the, of course, I guess the driving force of it. Um, but um, so, all right. So uh, I'd like to also note that we that uh, Scott, you were at. My party, yes. and we watched the last ten minutes of the game yes. on your phone. Yes, very a, a, a very nice big phone. I'd like to know. Right, you know, the 6S Is this plus. about my phone now? Well, it's no. a, it's passive aggressive. Yeah. Wait a minute, you have a 6S plus? I have a 6S plus with the Force Touch. So yeah, you you're, like, you're obsessed about the Force Touch. I don't really. Get I don't that. ever use it. I just like the fact that it's there. <laughs> yeah, this is how Apple gets you. Yeah. they convince you to buy new phones that have things that you don't even I, want, and if you know that you have them, you don't even use. I, but you feel good that you have. You them. know what I do though? Every now and then during the day, I'll just be like, "Okay, which apps have this?" And so look, here's what you can do. <laughs> like for the podcast app, uh-huh. you just Force Touch, and then I can pull up Waiting Since Last Saturday right here. I, I don't understand the utility of that, but I, it is something that my phone can't Here, do. I'll try it. You mean now you showed me last? You week mean like I, I touch SoundCloud app on my phone and I can just pull up waiting since last Saturday? Like like hit hit just uh, hit an app or hit like uh, the phone app, like push the phone button hard. See, and then you can. 
Okay. If you wanted to call my sister or my dad or my wife, you could do it just right there. So just like when I push the phone app on my phone, I can call my wife. Right. Right. But this, you can just push a little harder and you can... (laughs) To be fair, you, you, I am unable to push any button on my phone that calls either one of your wives. Right. Well, thank you. That's good. Yes. That's good. Um, Joey, did you also buy a yacht at a at a silent auction? I'm <laughs> yeah. curious. Yeah. He's got a timeshare uh, that we're all going to go check out. Um, <laughs> so we watched the end of the game on the phone. Yeah. And it was weird because and there were a couple people, you know, because the party actually, the cocktails were at 6 30, dinner was at 7 30. So, so there, obviously there were a lot of Georgia fans there. So everyone was either huddled around your phone. I know a couple people. My friend Webster was, watch, was listening to the game in his car before he came in. So everybody got started off to the party in a very foul mood. Yeah. But it's worth noting, though, that. The one thing I felt that everybody had in common is it almost felt like at the end of that game, like obviously it was upsetting that they lost, but it felt like the bad news had come in the first five minutes of the game, no matter what yeah. happened. Yeah. That like, even, like obviously difficult to lose, difficult to, to drop a game that you're up by that. But man, the mood, like after that first play, like a win would have felt like a loss. Well, and I, I went back and listened to the podcast Monday. <clears throat> excuse me, and and the thing that really struck me, it, you asked the question, "Will what you know? How would you have felt if Reggie Davis had caught the ball?" Um, I personally would have been very excited, and actually, my wife and I were watching the game away from the rest of her family because there were some um, there were some Tennessee fans in the crowd. And I'm sorry, I didn't know there were Tennessee fans. I I still would have married her, but it would have been <laughs> it, it changed the math a little bit on the dowry. Um, but the the thing that really struck me about it is I think as a as a University of Georgia fans, it wouldn't have changed anything. Yeah. I think we all would have been apoplectic over unless the the only thing that would have changed if Mark Rick goes for two and we get the two. Because then it changes the entire perception of what you know Mark Rick wants to win. Because she and I were talking, it's like she, But could you imagine the firestorm if he goes for two and then we don't make it? I am still excited if he goes for two because okay. it, it represents something different than Mark Rick has been for 15 years. Um, yeah. Now, now having said that, it's a moot point uh, because Reggie Davis didn't catch the pass. Malcolm Mitchell didn't catch the pass. We still lost by seven in, t- in, t- in Tennessee. Um, Malcolm Mitchell didn't catch the pass. Reggie dropped it. Sure. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm, we can parse language. No. But, I mean, no, I think it's right. arguably the, the best pass that Lambert's thrown. Reggie's pass? Ju- oh, completely. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it was a beautiful Which is pass. Just a shame. Yeah, but it was um, a beautiful. It was a beautiful pass. Uh, we, I love ripping on that guy, but that was an absolutely beautiful pass. He couldn't ask for it to be any better. But maybe it, he was surprised. But it gets me. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. Just, uh, but that kind of gets me to something uh, that you know. I mean, I, we're not really into game analysis yet, or even analysis of the rest of the season. Schottenheimer's got to turn Lambert loose a little bit. He looks a lot more comfortable when he's throwing the ball long, when he gets to actually make decisions. Like four-minute offense all the time? Why not? I mean, I mean that, now, no, I agree. Why now, not? why not? Yeah, right. why Absolutely. not? I mean, look, we can discuss Missouri's competition. Missouri's the second-best defense statistically in the conference right now. And, you know, again, we can discuss the competition and maybe we'll get to. But Missouri's defense is going to do exactly to us what Tennessee's defense did. And what Alabama. Alabama's defense did, which is they're not going to let us get away with the, with the quick slant, the one read pass, uh, which what happened in the first half, especially the first three series where we struck, frankly struggled a little bit, um, which is they said, OK, if you're going to beat us, you're going to beat us running the football and you're going to beat us 
by doing something other than the quick slanting us to death like he did against South Carolina. Grayson Lambert actually looked fairly decent that last three drives, really. You know, there were some passes he threw in the ground. There were some pa- He made some questionable decisions, no doubt. But when he is allowed the opportunity to actually go deep where he knows he's not having to throw the ball into traffic, that's where he flourishes. Because whether we like it or not, there's two things he's afraid of. The first is he's afraid of getting killed. He's afraid of getting hit. Whether you know, although he took some hits in that last drive, he's afraid of he's afraid of getting blitzed on. The, 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 the feet hop a little bit. Yeah, he gets happy feet in a hurry. The second thing he's afraid of is throwing an interception, and, I, and that could be for Mike London yelling at him so much last year. I don't know, <laughs> um, but you know, Grace Lambert's going to have a job in the end of the season. Mike London won't, so we we'll, we'll take a little joy in that. Well, but well, we're getting uh, salty today. Oh, well, I mean, his I job, have some hot takes. For the record, his job may be backup. But at the end of the season, well, but whatever, he will have a job. Um, so, you know, going forward, I don't see why, especially when you also think about what Sonny Michelle brings to the table, we're going to see a little different offense. I don't think our offense is going to be quite pounded up the middle. Oh, um, God, I hope not. Well, I mean, but Michelle Unless you put Quavon Hicks or Brandon Douglas back. Uh, if, we see, if we see some pounded up the middle, we're going to see some Christian Payne, Quavon Hicks, um, play uh, or Brandon Douglas. Um, I think he gets a few more touches, but you know, I think it, this actually opens up our offense a little bit because of, out of necessity. Yeah. I think the Chubb injury will force Schottenheimer to say, "Okay, here's what I have at my disposal. Here are the 17 plays that have really worked so far." And it's almost coaching my practice if we don't if we don't spread the ball out a little more because it's very clear that Grayson Lambert was able to throw the football down the field. Actually, fairly confident. Those are his best passes. Those were his best passes. He never looks like a better quarterback than when he's so down. No, I mean the the pass to both passes to Reggie Davis. Actually, uh, I mean he threw a, a just a beautiful pass to Malcolm Mitchell that went out what on the the seven eight yard line. And in when you do that, that softens up the zone and actually opens up some of the quick slants that Grayson Lambert and and Schottenheimer frankly likes to throw. Because it, it, it backs the guys off that have to cut off those throwing lanes. It makes them play a little more honestly. It makes them play off the line. Because if you play up on the line against Malcolm Mitchell, he's going to run by you. So but when I think of receiving, really all I think of is Malcolm Mitchell and Reggie Davis. They're really And maybe Sony out of the backfield. They seem to be the only three guys that have been targeted. There's no Blazevich. There's no Jackson Harris. There's no Shakineth. What's his last even, name? Wilson? Even, Terry, even Terry Godwin. Yeah, even Terry Godwin. I mean, he's maybe like C. You know, if 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 Mitchell is A and Davis is B, definitely Godwin is C. But I mean, we've got a lot of our J Rome, I think, had some quotes, you know, earlier this week where he was kind of making mention of, you know, not using the tight ends enough. And well, it's kind of hard to if you think about what Georgia offense does, we're gonna run the ball thirty times. We're just going but to But are we now? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's in the DNA at this point. It's in the DNA okay. at this point. I think that's a very good way of putting it. Yeah. It's in the DNA at this point. So we're going to run the ball 30 times. So that that basically leaves you anywhere from – we're going to run the ball half the time, not 30 times. We're going to run the ball half the time. So that leaves you anywhere Well, the rate from, we're going, we're only going to have the ball 60 snaps a game. Right. So that means you're only <laughs> going to throw the ball 30 times. Okay, Malcolm has to get his 10 looks. You're You're not using your best receiver if he doesn't. So that basically leaves four more guys in Godwin, Blazevich, or the tight end, Reggie Davis, and uh, one of the one of the running backs to get essentially thirty more looks. Now, what I think will happen is that we're going to see more looks because Marshall's a better catch passing 
uh, running back uh, than Chubb is. Or at least he's demonstrated that. The same for Michelle. So it wouldn't surprise me in the least to see some some wheel routes, some you know, quick slants. Um, for whatever reason, we just can't run a uh, we can't run a tailback screen to save our life. Yeah, it, and that, Danielson was pointing out on the game on Saturday how Tennessee was beating us at our own game with the screens early yeah, on. Well, yeah, okay. You bring up Danielson again. My, my, we're going to push some furniture to the wall. So, um, no, I'm just kidding. I don't, I don't care. My cat Danielson, that guy. Uh, but you know, the the fact of the matter is, is, is it the Purdue, is it the Purdue link or something? Is that he's just? I think he's good. I like him. I wouldn't say that he's good. I, I mean, he's I like a, him more than you do, Tony. Yeah. I well, he, he actually he, he loves actually, himself. He does. Well, he actually well, does a problem with some decent analysis. Uh, but he's a far better analysis. Uh, he's far better at color than he was as quarterback for the Lions. Let's just leave it there. <laughs> well, so, it's uh, part of clear. offensively, I think the path forward for us is that we, we, we're going to continue to run the ball about half the time. I think yeah. Will's right. It's in our DNA. Let's assume it was next year. Even if we had Easton here, we're just not going to, we're not going to be a throw the ball 60 times a, a game team. If we are, it's because we're behind and that's not a good look for us. And if that's something that he wanted to do, he would have brought someone other than Schottenheimer in to be his offensive coordinator. That that's exactly he did there. Right. Like it's I, his kind of dude. Yeah. At the beginning of the season, we saw some Schottenheimer only, only ran the ball 40% of the time. Right. I'm like, 40% of the time's a lot. That's pretty high in the NFL. Okay, let's, <laughs> yeah. let's be clear. That, like, that and and frankly, that was one of the things that actually really annoyed Rams fans about him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're running the ball too much. You ran yeah. the ball 40 times, yeah. which was third the most in the league last yeah. year. Yeah. So um, I think you bring up a fair point about the tight ends. It's a little surprising to see we haven't seen targets to the tight end. That doesn't mean that does it doesn't mean that we haven't right. had plays where the tight ends should have been targeted and Lambert missed. But it also would be a little surprising if we don't see Blazevich and Rome and, and Harris get some looks this week. Because if you look at what they want to what Missouri wants to do on their defense is they want to they want to push a field, they want to get pressure, and they want to make Lambert make bad decisions. And the best way to ameliorate that is to have two or three really good quick read outlet passes. And Blazevich against any six foot tall linebacker is a good matchup. Is there an argument to be made? Obviously, it's never good that Nick Chubb is gone, obviously. But certainly we've seen, you know, you talked about how Missouri is going to do the same, try to do the same thing to Georgia that Alabama did and that Tennessee did and that to a lesser extent Vanderbilt even tried to do in that the type of offense that that defense is built to be positive against is the run the ball up the middle. Exactly. Run the, the ball up so on. So in a way, is there an argument to be made? Not that the team is, of course, better without Chubb, but it's definitely not in general. But this week, this switching up of the game plan is frankly something they probably should have done anyway, it, uh, even if they'd have had Chubb. It and doesn't now that hurt. they have to do it, it feels like it plays into their hands a little bit. Well, I don't think it hurts at all for us to – have a different approach, whether that's by design or, or because right. it's forced upon us. They should have had a different approach, even if Chubb was fine. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. We'll look at what a Florida did last week. I mean, they scored 21 points, and that's probably that's probably uh, probably going to be enough. I mean, we, we, we can talk about Missouri's offense, but they are struggling offensively. Yeah. 
far more than we are. I thought they would be better without Mock, but they look just as bad. Well, it's not that they're. It's not their. I mean, they're definitely different. Mock. They're definitely different. Um, I think tr- what True Lock's strengths are are the exactly opposite of Matt Mock's. Matt Mock's are um, Matty Mock's strengths are kind of the zone read, make things happen with his feet, or at least make the defense think mm-hmm. he can. Uh, True Lock is a, a lot more of a let's figure out where that open receiver is, which scares me considering how poorly we played zone defense. Yeah. Um, and how how big the the open spots in our defense were last. But week. we are still talking about a freshman. We are still talking about a freshman. But remember what Matty Mock did? What two, two years, years ago, ago as a the freshman bench against against us when James Franklin separated his shoulder? No, trust me. Yeah, I, and I thought that I was like, okay, well, we just got a gift and this no name Matty Mock coming well, out. He comes he, in like two hundred forty yards and and basically two and a half quarters. But you know, getting back to what offensively we need to do is that. We almost need to become a West Coast offense with elements of the downfield pass. Essentially, what essentially what San Francisco did with Steve Young. It, basically, yeah, we're West Coast offense. will take shots. Not, not to be uh, a homer NFL guy, but they need to be what the Arizona Cardinals are right now. Yeah, which is a team that, that's willing to actually go downfield passing, but also has. I mean, obviously, they have the Cardinals. Georgia originally had three runners. Now they don't. Yeah. But uh, Arizona has three solid running backs that they're constantly using as a threat to open up when they need to go downfield. And they're not running people up the middle. It's all yeah. off. It's all uh, a screen pass. It's all that guy in the field. The way they're running their offense right now, that team is not. That is not. That's a team that's not talent wise. Should be scoring forty points a game. Yes, but, but they, they are. are. They are. And and and, it's, and all of it's just. It's frankly aggression. Yeah, and and, um, and you know, Arians is a play caller in a way that is as a personality and as a play caller is the opposite of Rick. He's a very different kind of dude, and I, and uh, that's not a criticism of Rick or a praise of Arians. They're just different guys. Just observation. Just a different guys, but certainly, to me, this is a great game for Rick to try to find his inner Arians. Not inner Aryan, not to become a racist. And inner Aryans. <laughs> I, th- I think that he could start with those cool sunglasses or glasses. No, that- and the Kangol, the Kangol hat. There we go. Yeah, the Kangol hat. Yeah, like Fred Durst. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let that be the last Fred Durst. By the way, if, if you had Fred Durst on the bingo card drink, yeah. Um, How did Fred Durst get mentioned before UGA carry? What happened? Yeah, I don't. This it's just Mark Rick has lost control of the podcast. So um, <laughs> I just this seems to me a game, particularly after two losses. Particularly after a game where you've had two frustrating losses and a really, they're just. And I actually would like to talk about Chubb in a little bit after we finish this. But after a devastating personnel loss, uh, to me, this is a game where they need to get back. Everybody's a little freaked out right now. Yeah, yeah. everyone is like fans are freaked out. There's a bad, there's a weird vibe going on right now. If there's a game to try something a little different and and throw a wrench in the, there goes Georgia just doing the same thing they always do again. This would be seem to me an ideal time to do it. You know what amazes me, and I guess maybe transitioning into the Nick Chubb thing. I mean, 2013 we lose our best player to an ACL. 2014 we lose our best player to an ACL, and I don't even know what Nick Chubb has. It's got to be. Maybe what is PCL. the recent update? What What is the most yeah, recent yeah, update? But, but it's it's amazing that this, I think I mentioned last week, we have no luck. And I don't want to sound like I'm crying about it, but it's just bad luck. You know, whereas Auburn a couple years ago had the horseshoe and we don't have the horseshoe. For the, for the sake of discussion, I agree that it's bad luck, but it is also football. Like right, football, right, like right. it's an incredibly dangerous sport and these types of things happen all the time. And two, it frankly, it's an offense that is built all around running backs. Right, like it's it's built around them. Like this is not 
Like, look at look at LSU and Fournette. The minute they can get him out, they do. And not to say that Rick has, like, pushed Chubb too no, much or no. pushed Gar- right. Gurley too much. But certainly the focus of everything, and this year Fournette's like that because they have a terrible quarterback. But, like, generally speaking, most teams that have these stars, star guys, he's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a cog in it. And Georgia basically builds their offense around these guys. And that is going to leave them. I'm not saying that that's a problem or something that's a mistake, but it's definitely the type of thing that's going to leave them more open to freak injuries. They're like, sure, they're freak injuries, but it's football. It wasn't a freak injury gardening. It wasn't a freak injury, you know, like going down the hallway. Football is incredibly... Playing with fireworks on July 4th. No, that is not... That's definitely not a freak injury. Okay. That is a... That is a... I'm uh, trying to figure out where the line was. exactly. (laughs) You're courting danger there. In the football, you're courting danger. And, you know, and that is... Sure, it it seems like it happens to Georgia more than it happens to other teams, but I think it really speaks to Georgia having these spectral talents. Like lots of teams lose their uh, Illinois lost its running back this week, but nobody cares. <laughs> but Georgia's lost its running back, and it's like a big huge deal. Well, and it's because who the running back was. Of course, that's my point. Is that right. like when you have that top tier talent? Sure, it makes you feel more snake bitten when they get hurt. Yeah. than right. when other football players. Snake bit's a good word, right? I mean, because we essentially lost five full games of uh, five and a half games. Of Gurley last year between his autograph fiasco yeah. and and the injury, I don't like going back and looking back. This feels like two thousand fill in the blank. But the right. one of the things I, I just can't get my head can't keep can't stop thinking about is what happened in two thousand seven when we went to Tennessee and how poorly we played. I mean, yep. we I was, just went up there and just could not stop. We couldn't stop anything they were doing, particularly the play action pass. You know the is that when uh, we were Crompton? No, Crompton would have been. Th- Whenever out of 09, maybe the thing about that, and that the thing that feels about this season that it'll be interesting to see what happens because Will and Will, you and I have talked about how different this Mark Rick feels. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see what happens because we came out after that, we struggled the next week against uh, Vanderbilt, winning 20 to 17 in Nashville, and we just basically poured it on everybody after that. And we beat Florida 42 to 30. We, you know, of course, House Troy, we beat Auburn. Um, you know, 45-20, that was the blackout game. and But but what happened was is that we kind of reinvented what we we're trying to do midseason. Um, and I wonder if, if the Chubb injury is the impetus for that, uh, particularly offensively. Now, we're going to talk about defense in a minute um, because I don't think we can ignore defense and in good faith call ourselves a Georgia podcast. But, you know, offensively – we're really talking tweaks, right? We're talking about a little different philosophy where we run the football. It is weird. After a game where they scored 31 points, we're like, how are we going to fix the offense? When the fact is they just gave up 38. Yeah, but (laughs) but 14 of those points were special teams and defenses. And, you know, it's not that we didn't do a well moving the ball. Where we really struggled is moving the ball in third down. And and one of the things that that opening up the offense a little bit and allowing uh, Lambert to take strikes downfield, which we – We've really only done two or three times this season until last week. Is that it does soften up the defense some, particularly for the short pass, which is clear. Schottenheimer wants to try to run, right. and for the running game, uh, which plays right into the edge running game of Sony Michelle. So let's talk about the defense then. Oh, actually, first off, I want to get one thing out of the way. What is the lat like? I know is the swelling down for Chubb that we don't know when the surgery is happening. Like, is there any even? It's, it's I haven't a, even seen a lot of estimates thrown around. Yeah, it's a PCL. I don't think there's any more. I mean, um, I don't think he's coming back this year. No, but well, Scott Scott was talking about a piece in Bleacher Report from a guy that's never even met Nick Chubb, 
from a doctor who's who only saw like the vine of what happened and talking about how it could be career ending. And now it's trending on Twitter. It's now trending on Twitter because that's what Georgia fans do. Um, and also, I'm going to remind everyone once again: do not read Bleacher Report for information. This is a terrible place to get for information, so do not get it from. Well, it, it, but you know there. There are some. There are some good writers. There are some there. very good writers there, particularly their lead writers. Their oh, lead, of course, their lead employed writers. Of course, the employed uh, writers are great. You just need also to, a you fair just need number to be able to find them. There are also a fair <laughs> number of guys that basically just have random blogs like I do. Yeah. So um, no, they are not at the level of you. Well, thank you. That's very kind. But so defensively. Oh, about Chubb. Yeah, yes. he has a PCL. Uh, he has a PCL tear. I think the latest the latest thing I saw is we're still looking at two weeks. He's still under observation. The last I heard, we're recording this on Wednesday. The last I heard, which would have been last night, he's still at uh, St. Mary's. Um, uh, I have to assume at St. Mary's. I don't know for mm-hmm. certain, but he's still under observation. Yeah, so uh, like the swelling is not down. So he's well, at the, he's at the hospital still. Yeah. Well, you know, pretty what would be pretty standard in this is that. They would keep him in the hospital to make sure the knee is stabilized and then send him home until they do the surgery. Or you know, if the swelling goes down quickly enough, they go ahead and do the surgery. Right, right. Because the quicker they do the surgery, the quicker he starts recovery. Um, I was listening to a Bulldog Roundtable today. and need Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Y'all drink. Um, so we had the um, – I was listening to Bulldog Roundtable today, and, and there was a, you know, some brief back and forth between Dowdle and uh, Chris – uh, Chip Towers about how you know there's even this possibility he could be back by the ball game. That seems in- incredibly optimistic and, to me and, and pointless to be honest. And pointless, exactly, right, right. exactly. I mean, the only way it makes any sense is somehow we back into we have opportunity to play for far more than the yeah. Uh, and, and actually, I'd like to bring that up later. So than the, than, the, than the golden chicken, right, or whatever right, it is right. we're playing for. <laughs> and we will. I would like to actually bring up the possibility once we finish with this and the defense. Talk. So. Uh, are we ready to talk about the defense? Yeah, special we're teams. Are we going to talk about special teams yet or defense? Uh, whatever makes you less sad. I don't know which one. Sad. <laughs> right, let's talk. About, let's talk about special teams very briefly. You know, the special teams feels a lot like that really hot bartender you date between marriages uh, who likes football and really, only one of us here is divorced. By the and way. really enjoys golf <laughs> and has a knife collection. I mean, things are going really <laughs> awesome until somebody gets cut. Right, uh, right. That is our special teams. I mean. <laughs> Y'all watch Reggie Davis's punt return, right? Yes, yes, yes. I mean, which of you thought, oh my God, he's going to actually try to return that? And then, oh my God, he's going to return it all the way. I mean, that's exactly what happened. And then, you know, we turn around and we fumble the the, the kickoff return. We're just terrible. Uh, we're terrible blocking. We're making bad decisions about when to bring the ball out of the end zone on kickoffs. And frankly, we're not doing a great job of covering kicks either. I mean, for the second week in a row, we've had uh, a 45-plus yard kickoff return. That should happen once a season, not once every other week. It's weird. It, this is the, the way this team is built, it's built to be a do-no-harm special teams. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and like, you is, don't even need the big return. Like Maybe Isaiah McKenzie, when, when he can play, is that guy. But generally speaking, the this is built to be a just this is a field position game. Don't make any huge mistakes, and that's clearly not what's happening. Well, you missed you missed the, the the era of the Greyhound, where we were constantly sending out Logan Gray, a backup quarterback, to fair catch. Um, so that's maybe too conservative. The one that is incredibly too conservative. I mean, it was it. I mean, it really was a legitimate joke. Had there been such a thing as meme generator, then we may well have had come up with some really good ones. But I think that's right. It is a do no harm, which is. Concerning to me, as someone has looked at Mark Richt as having reinvented himself, because that is absolutely a holdback from his philosophy from 2007, 8, 9, and 10, 11. It's like, you know, look, let's not do anything. Now, 
I applaud the aggression of bringing the ball out two yards deep, but only if everybody's on the same page about where yeah. they're going to block because that hasn't happened. We were bringing the ball out two yards deep too many times and having the first contact happen at the 10-yard line. Yeah. If you're gonna if you're gonna do that, just take a knee. No one gets hurt. We get, get the ball to the, the 25. twenty-five yard line. We get the ball at twenty-five. Just don't do it. And then on kickoffs, we have had more touchbacks than we've had in years past. But when they don't touch the back, they're returning the ball crazy average, something like twenty-nine yards. So if you kick the ball to the to the four-yard line, twenty-nine plus four is thirty-four. We're giving away ten yards right off the bat. And Sometimes we return the ball 45 and 50 yards. We saw that against Alabama. We saw that against South Carolina. We saw that last week against Tennessee. That can't happen. They can't happen three times in six games. Especially against all the SEC opponents. It just can't. Yeah. I don't know what you have to do uh, on special teams. We have to be more competent. And I, honestly, some of that's really simple. That's simple coaching stuff. Your kickoff team, put, put a body on somebody. You know, it doesn't matter if two of you are blocking one person. At least you're blocking somebody. I don't. I mean, I don't really have good answers for that. Man. And the same goes for if you're behind the goal line, take a knee. <laughs> yeah. It's not worth us having to go 94 yards in order for the one out of 12 chance or 24 chance or whatever it is you're going to return to. And this is why I get back to the to the do no harm. Like yeah. it's harm. Like like you need like at the, at the very least if, if like most games and maybe in the Alabama game you take a chance. Maybe if Auburn was what we thought they were. <laughs> You yeah, well, you're da- when you're already down twenty four three too. But like when like the way Georgia is set up to play, you, you can't take the touchback. You you like you don't you don't need the big play because right. you're going under the notion that you're a better team, right? So that is the that's the concern there. And but really, like I need you to sell me on the defense a little bit. You sound more positive on them than I am. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to sound more positive. Um, <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Crap. Well, there are three things we have to do better. The first is we have to tackle better. And I realize that sounds like a very basic thing, but we just have to. Yeah. The past couple of games, we've really regressed on the lines we've taken and also how we tackled. The second thing we have to do better is we've got to get better in pass coverage, uh, especially zone coverage. There is no reason for Josh Dobbs. I went back and looked at some of the game. There's no reason for Josh Dobbs to pick us apart for – Three hundred. Josh Dobbs. Yeah, for three hundred and six. Not Josh from the podcast. Not Josh from the podcast. Different Josh. Okay, different Josh. It's good people. I was very apologetic. I was appropriately you were, apologetic. You were. Yeah, I, Josh is good people. The way that Tony responded so quickly and on point, I almost figured like he knew the guy. Like yeah. he accidentally gave him the guy's <laughs> phone number. Like, oh yeah, Josh. Yeah, yeah. Josh, how's Josh? He's my backup. So, He's my understudy. We're not getting any push like we were against South Carolina on the defensive line. And that's the third place we have to be better on the defensive line. Uh, and Trent, we're not going to have Jordan Jenkins this week, right? And uh, you know, is Jordan, that official? Is that official? Yes, okay. yes. His, his, I, don't know, I don't know how official it is, but his his coach <laughs> put, his coach put something on Facebook, yeah. so it's pretty much official. Right. So um, <laughs> you know, our defensive line, Trent Thompson played nearly all the snaps, which is great. That's yeah. it's great for him. I mean, he actually led the team in tackles, I think, or was second on the team in tackles. But w- with Drew Locke, the key to getting him rattled is getting his face and. I, it's going to be hard for me to imagine with us talking about the problems we had with zone coverage, us rushing more than four, uh, three and some sort of wildcat, you know, blitz or, or having Carter or, or, or one of the other guys put their, put their hand on Floyd. the ground, Floyd maybe, um, or even one of the, one of the safeties, uh, Mauger, put their hand on the ground and come at him on passing situations. But we have to be confident and be able to both run, protect and, get pressure on the quarterback this week against Locke, 
with four guys. You know, the only other time we really rattled Dobbs, now Locke's not going to be able to run like Dobbs. Well, you hope you won't. I'm not going to He doesn't have the, the talent. That doesn't mean he can't. It just means that he is not the type of quarterback that's going to run as much as Dobbs did. That doesn't mean that if we send six guys after him, he's not he can't pick us apart one or two, find a place to run because there were plenty of times where we, we rushed four and blitz two, and next thing you know, Dobbs is in our secondary running the ball, right. which is just can't happen. So, you know, to answer your question is we're playing a lot of young guys yeah. on the defense is what I said Sunday, and I'm going to stick with that. I think the one thing to take away that you want to hold some hope is that it seems like everybody is still bought in to Pruitt. Pruitt said the right things after the game, which you want to hear from a coach, which is not coach speak. He said, we looked really bad, and we have a lot of things to work on. I wouldn't want to be in the defensive huddles this week and defensive team meetings this week. Really wouldn't. Because you can understand getting physically whipped by Alabama, but to get physically whipped by the way we did against Tennessee, which I think we looked worse against Tennessee, mm-hmm. um, yeah. particularly when it came to one-on-one matchups and, and trying to tackle in the open field. Um, and when you add the context of who you're going against, Who your opponent is, yeah. It's worrisome. It's worrisome. I think that's right. I want to kind of wrap up this with a big picture look. Let's all just take a step back here. I like that. Big and picture. obviously the last two weeks have been unpleasant. We've been spending the whole first month. However, this podcast for two never, months. Never happened. Uh, we've been spent a lot of time being awfully optimistic about this team. And Alabama certainly was a shock to the system. Though I think in the context of it being Alabama and being a bad matchup, you could almost squint and say, Okay, the goals can still be met for this team. The ball got rolling downhill and things got out of control. Are you going to tell me that the goals are still intact? Well, well hang on. Because okay. well, we're talking about Tennessee now. And then Tennessee, for me, that's where you start. You can almost be like, well, after Chubb, after like kind of that shock at the end of the first half, every, the ball got rolling downhill again. Now, there's two ways to look at that. On one hand, Georgia is still a talented team. The things just kind of got away from them. They've had some of the bad luck that you've talked about. And this thing is not as out of control as it might seem. When you look at the schedule moving forward, and I'll get into that in a moment, you can still see a good path for this team. On the other hand, you can say, isn't it the job of everybody in charge to make sure the things don't get rolling, down, don't get rolling downhill? And when things get out of control, you calm everybody and get settled. This is now two straight weeks where things have got, gotten away from Georgia in a way. And that's concerning. Now, to me, that's what's so key about this Missouri game. Georgia's favored in this game. They should be favored in this game. They're better points. than Missouri. That seems high, but we'll get it to that. It feels very How high. many points? 17 is what it opened at. Off. It's, it's lower than that now, I think. But to me, you talk about 2007. Yes. That's the goal. That's the hope here is that this has been a, a, a blip and things have gotten a little off. But this is still a talented team with smart people in charge that will be able to take advantage of, frankly, you know, we'll, we've got a Florida game to talk about in two weeks. But other than that game is a schedule that I think fits well for Georgia. This is still not – there is no other Alabama on here. There's no LSU. There's no Texas A&M. This still works out well. There's still a chance this team could win the SEC. It's still – like everyone giggles, but all told, this it's it's, no. it's on the table. Yeah, no, and, and we will be – in the position to at least control our destiny. I'm 
fully. If LSU beats Florida this week, if LSU, well, I mean, we haven't even talked about what happened with Will Greer. We'll we'll get to that when we preview their game. Yeah, but it's worth noting in the the context of this conversation. In the context of this conversation, yeah, yeah, right. Because everyone's been talking this all the time. No matter what happens, George is clearly the best team in the East. Now Florida has clearly kind of ascended that level, except now they've lost their quarterback who a lot. But Treon Harris played against us last year. Yeah, but are we? I hope we're not really using last year's Florida as an example of what we're going to see out of this year's Florida. Why you got to harsh my post? Yeah. <laughs> well, he mentioned 2007 and Marcus Howard didn't walk in through that door. That's, that's, that's a good wrong. point. That's good. Wrong. Here's my point: is that we've spent a long time on this podcast talking about how bored and tired and exhausted we are from the "Is Mark Rick the right guy?" Is this is what we've we've talked about? I think correctly that Rick is moved in a different direction with this team. And it's kind of upped his game a little bit and is trying something different. These last two weeks, you're hearing it all again. You're hearing it a lot louder. What is it? Here's my two questions. One, what do you need to see out of this team the rest of the season to make sure that you feel comfortable? And it may be, maybe you feel comfortable now and you'll be fine moving forward. Two, is there anything that this team can do the rest of this season that will quiet that? Those are my two questions. You personally and all the stuff surrounding, uh, what will make you feel comfortable and what will quiet everybody else, if anything? I think mine can be answered with the same thought path. Okay. Go 6-0. and oh. I think that'll you satisfy. Think if, you to, like, if nothing else will suffice for you personally or overall? For me personally, I like your comparison to 2007. And looking at the schedule we have and the teams that are kind of list, listless. And There's winnable games. Other definitely. than Florida, they're going to be favored every game the rest of the year. Florida is, I guess, you know, since the domination. Well, since the domination ended back in the, what, mid-2000s, you know, it's kind of a cyclical mm-hmm. matchup. Kind of ebbs and flows, and it doesn't matter who's the coach and who the players are. And I think that. I mean, I'm an internal optimist, I guess, and I think this is our year, especially with the whole Will Greer thing. For me, we need to go six and zero. We can't finish the year what eight and four or nine and three because I have a feeling another loss then begets other losses. Go six and zero for me to be happy, and I think for the Bulldog Nation to be happy, it'd be six and zero. And I think it's it's not it's not asking too much. Yeah, but it's asking a lot. Like if the team goes five and one, are people going to be like? See this? Who's, who's, the, pro- who's the one loss? Florida, Missouri, be, Auburn. Be, anyone? Yeah, I don't think there's anyone on the schedule left that that pe- if we lose, that people are going to be happy about. Yeah. Um, no, I, I understand that, but also assuming that this team's going to go six and zero after what we've seen and after the injuries they've had, to me, I mean, I, I that this is the problem. But this here's is, this the, is my point. Uh, and I and I agree, but also Tennessee could have been undefeated coming into playing us. Yeah, I understand that, but what I'm saying is that like this thing of Georgia should be winning championships and they're not, and it's because of Mark Richt. One more loss, even though like the, th- this is part of the problem is you guys look after the last two weeks that have been as treacherous and difficult a week as you could possibly have, and now say, well, don't worry, we're going to go 6-0 and the rest of the way. And if he doesn't do that, then, yeah, he deserves everything he gets from Bulldog Nation. When he's lost Nick Chubb, when he's well, like, I mean, now Jiggins is out this week, there's a lot of stuff swirling and a lot of problems. And to look at this and say, well, I'll be fine as long as we go 6-0, and that seems like a lot to ask. Well, and here's the thing. He's not going to get any blowback from me if he does lose one, God forbid, two games. And I don't really hear much like fire Mark Rick stuff. We're not talking fire Mark Rick, but we're talking is the direct is the is 
the program going in the right direction. And the way that we've been talking on this podcast this whole year about like we like what he's doing. I agree. I like what he's yeah. doing too. But of course, I'm new here, so I can have a little bit more patience right. with it. I understand maybe other people don't. Tony, what, uh, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, of course. And I, I think the easy answer to your second question is, will the Bulldog Nation be happy if we go 6-0? Um, the answer is no. We're not even six and zero. Even six and zero is not no because we're not built to be happy about that. We're just not. We're just look. The balloon's off the road. It is. We were talking downstairs earlier, and and, you know, you don't describe this notion, but we talk about Cardinals. People talk about Cardinals fans being the best fans of baseball, right? Cardinals fans don't. Cardinals fans, but other people do. And the reason is, it's like the Cardinals lost to a Cubs team that was playing better baseball than them. And the Cardinals exactly. fans were exactly they were they with with few notable exceptions they were able to accept that and say we gave our best shot and we we lost to a better team Georgia fans are capable of that <laughs> for the record one of the reasons the Cardinals fans were able to do that is they've won eleven championships. they've won eleven championships yep. but my point about that is this is that we talked on the maybe the first or second podcast about it's been thirty five years since Georgia won the national championship mm-hmm. it was thirty five years between the national championship we won in the forties and the eighties. I'm not saying we need to accept that Georgia is a really good but not great program, but I also think Georgia fans have this notion that we should be in a different place, and I think a lot of that notion comes from things outside the Bulldog Nation. Now, I'm not blaming the media for a lot of stuff. Okay, this is what I'm asking. But Because I don't get that sense. I have to say I love blaming the media for stuff. I'm a member of the media, and I love it. We deserve it so much. <laughs> but I have to tell you. I'm, I talk to people around here, and they're like, yeah, we'll probably go to the Missouri game. We'll, we'll, we'll be – like, not to say there's not going to be a pact. It's not going to be full of people. But that level of excitement after those two losses is clearly lower. And the reason that it's lower is this team can no longer win the championship. Well, I think that's – Or no longer make the playoffs. I, I think that's, that's probably right, but I also think there's some chicken and egg there. Here's the thing. The folks at SB Nation, the folks at – Yahoo Sports, the mm. folks at even SI would tell you at the beginning of the season, and would tell you at the beginning of 14, the beginning of 13, beginning of 12, even the beginning of 11, that Georgia's going to lose a big game sometime this season. And the point I keep making is that if you're going to say that every big game Georgia loses are only the games they lose, we're never going to win the big game. Now, having said that, having said that, mm. we could go 6-0, and win the SEC, and for the most part, will the fan base be sated? Of course they will. I think we have to win the SEC because if we go six and zero and lose. So that's seven and zero, right? But if we go look. If we go six and zero and go in the SEC championship game and get housed by Alabama again, or get housed <laughs> by Mississippi, or get housed by LSU, or get housed by Texas A and M. People are going to be right back in the same place, regardless of the fact that that team is likely going to go into the four team playoff and have a fairly substantial chance of winning the national championship because it is we're just now getting to the point where people look at 2012 and will actually be honest about what happened in 2012 mm-hmm. and say Georgia was a really bad luck bounce away from going and beating Notre Dame in the national championship game. That's not to say we would and even have. At the time, and, and for what it's worth, it's worth – and you guys were closer to it than I was at that time. But certainly I didn't get the, the, the sense either from, from – certainly from the outside and even from the Georgia people I knew that people to consider the national championship team. I disagree with that because I walked in there thinking if we beat Alabama, we're going to beat the crap out of Notre Dame. Well, but maybe that may, then maybe that speaks to your chicken chicken or egg argument. Yeah, I think it does. But, but certainly, again, a lot of fan bases are happy if they go six and go six and zero, win your last six games of the year. You're going to be ten and two at that point, playing the SEC championship game in Atlanta, probably unless Florida pulls off an upset this week. Uh, you're you're looking at ten and two. 
playing the SEC championship game against maybe Alabama again, maybe so on. But the point is, that's an amazing achievement. How happy could you? How could you not be happy with that? I would be. Yeah, but you would be. But that gets me back to why I say no, because I think Georgia fan is now jaded enough, and I've been pretty clear about this on some places, but it feels like we actually almost deserve to run Mark Richt off to see what happens. Yeah, I mean, Whether we, good or bad, good or bad. Right. Now, I'm not saying we I should. I understand what you're saying. I'm not saying we should. I agree. I'm not saying we should, but by, by, by no stretch of the right. imagination, right. Uh, because I believe in him. I, and I think I've said, you know, we go and lose Missouri this week, and we, we finish out the season eight and four, and we do the same thing next year. I could be, because, hey, I'm not afraid to admit, I stood on the Marta platform after the Boise State loss in mm, 2000, yeah. what, was that 11, 12? Yep. 2012. 11. 11. Whatever year it was. Yeah. I stood on the platform was like, you think we can da- get Dan Mullen to come here? I mean, I'm not afraid to admit that because that's how bad things looked then. We are nowhere near where we were in 2011. Yeah, and I am with you in this regard. Like, I'm not disagreeing with you, but there is, but you're you're just hearing stuff again, and you're hearing, and you know, this is my third year here, and there's been a definitive point each of those three years where all of a sudden the spigot got uh, enthusiasm here got turned off. It just got stopped. Now, and and this is the third straight year I've seen it. Now, to answer your first question. In order for me personally to be happy, yeah. we have to look competent. We have to look like we coach, we're coached competently. We have to show up and play. I wouldn't say mistake-free, but we have to look like we can do the things we can actually do. Because youth doesn't explain fumbling the ball um, on special teams. Youth doesn't explain letting gunners through on block punts. Youth doesn't explain utterly missing assignments on, um, on an offensive line. Those are all juniors and seniors. It just doesn't. Now, defensively, we're younger than we were last year, if that's at all possible, which is crazy. But that doesn't mean that that we can look just progressively bad or just as bad as we did against Tennessee through the season and accomplish 6-0 or even feel like that I'm going to be happy with that. Now, that doesn't mean I'm ready to fire people right. at all. And, and the last thing I, I want us to be able to do is that, you know, and we actually did this okay as respond to adversity. I mean, Tennessee went on a – a 14 and 0 tear in the second quarter and got the ball back at the beginning of the third quarter. And we actually, they went three and out, yeah. which I was very happy about. We as a team, as, as a university, the university of Georgia football team, I think they're saying and doing the right things. We cannot like it, but I think at the end of the season, I think we're going to look back and say, eh, we were filling the blank team anyway. And hindsight's really easy to, to right. be that way. But I think a lot of what, we were hoping for out of this team, this podcast and the Bulldog Nation included, assumed a couple of things about this team. One, the defense would be better and we're not. Yeah. Two, that quarterback play and and I would throw even play calling from the from the offensive coordinator. And there are those who say that Schottenheimer wasn't going to be that guy anyway. Yeah. But quarterback play and play calling would be sufficient to allow our running game to catch up to that. And that doesn't necessarily Look to be the case. And the third thing is that, you know, we thought we were going to be a little better special team wise than we have been. And also, we thought that Nick Chubb would be playing. Well, well but you know, last, that, <laughs> like, you only get to call that for one game. Yeah, but I mean, did, did they beat Tennessee last week if Nick Chubb plays the whole game? I think they do. I think they do. I think they do. I know, just, I, I, now uh, we're looking at one loss. And I know we, well, I know we don't want to belabor this too much, but like, well, then we're looking at one loss. And the, nobody's the, freaking out. But the fact of the matter is, we beat Tennessee. We stopped them on one of those fourth downs. Yeah, but if you if you have Nick Chubb, maybe you don't actually have to get to that point. Right, I think that's right. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think the story. This I think the story. The the big story of your question is no. Georgia fans aren't going to be happy. Period. Yeah, period. It's just not until they make the playoffs. Until we make the playoffs. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and then after we make the playoffs, we don't win the championship within two years. We'll be mad about that. Yeah, because yeah, that's the, who the we playoff are. Playoff will give you but one that's, year. But that's who we are. Yeah. Which is I, I let's just to, own that. That's who we are. Georgia and I fans. have to say, like again, this is my last thing. This I know we need to get to the games, but my last thing I want to say about this is that like. As much as I like to stand back and be like, why don't these appreciate people appreciate how happy they they ha- how good they have it, how happy they should be? On the other hand, I find myself kind of envious of the idea that like, hey, these people demand the championship or they're unhappy. That's an excellent way to get a championship. It may take you a while, but that's how it starts. I have an answer for that, which no one's going to like. Is that we've had fifteen years of actually really good football. And only been great a few years. And there's a lot of fans in Bulldog Nation who didn't live through Donnan, who didn't live through Raw, <laughs> who didn't live through the last year, so the Dooley years, who didn't live through 12 of the 14 middle years of the Dooley yeah. years. And we actually forget what it's like to be a part of a program that's nearly a joke almost yeah. uh, uh, of themselves. Um, well, I mean, look where look where South Carolina is going to be. Mm-hmm. Look where Nebraska is. Nebraska now. is a great example. And, and I'm not saying they've. And, and Georgia's not going to get to that level because they've got a better recruiting base. But certainly, look where. And to me, look at like Florida now. How example of how this gets turned around so quickly. Florida yeah. was the yeah. tire fire yeah. last year. Yeah. All it takes is a in the right direction, and you're there. The last thing I'll say about that is that if you're willing to say that we should change the coach, you have to seriously look at. Who not just we can get, who we will try to get. Southern Cal's facing that exact question yeah. right now. Um, I mean, to me, that's the best example, the best argument for Rick. Look at the people on that list. It's not a blow you away list. It's no, just not. You can think about, okay, we should go get fill in the blank. But there's three things you got to think about in hiring coach. Will they come? Two, are they a good fit? And three, if they will come and they are a good fit, is that somebody you'd actually talk to in the first right, place? right, right. right. Like yeah, honestly, when you look at that list, uh, Matt, uh, Matt Brown for Sports Center did a great yeah. rundown. Yeah, that, Matt. Yeah, Matt's. Yeah, he did a great rundown of That's- all the open jobs, and um, and unfortunately, Kirby Smart did not fall enough to, down far enough to Illinois. I'm sad to say, I really want that, uh, and not just because my wife is friends with him, but also that like you look at like I think you made the South Carolina list. But if you look at that list of USC people, I made the South Carolina. Yeah, list. exactly. The first US, USC, the the Southern Cal list. Other than the Chip Kelly pipe dream that everybody Ain't has. Happening. And like there's not – it's not the most impressive list. You don't there's, look at that list and think, oh, well, there's a slam dunk guy. The fact is Michigan got Jim Harbaugh, who is the closest thing he's going to get to a slam dunk guy because he went to Michigan. But like you're not – the idea that this person is falling from the sky that's going to come in and save your program, it's not real. Pat Hayden hired Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian. Yeah. Despite evidence from both places, it was not the best idea. And despite being USC – like, despite being USC. They don't pay well. Why would you think? <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, why would you think Not the that coaches. Pat Hayden's going to fix his past two hires? Yeah. Why? They're going to end up with someone like Chris Richard, who is the defensive coordinator under Carroll yeah. at, for Seattle. That's who they're going to end up with if Hayden makes the decision. Hayden so, will be the next to go. Um, I have some Southern Cal fans that really, really – got some hot takes. Southern Cal hot takes. Yeah. So – you know, Will, to answer your question is that um, I don't think all is lost for Georgia. Yeah, I don't uh, either. From my, I don't pers- either. From my but personal I, I'm perspective. Just tr- I'm just trying to read the read read the tea leaves and what people are talking um, about. I think we were over-exuberant, we being the waiting since last Saturday podcast, about what we thought Georgia was going to be. I don't think it was just us. I don't I know. It don't. wasn't just us. But I also think that 
the possibility of finishing up nine and three and playing and actually a really good bowl game is not at all out of the realm of possibilities. And I know there are some of you listening like, oh God, yet another mid tier bowl game on New Year's Screw Day. Screw Belt Bowl. Yeah. You know, I, I think, I think you have to be perspective about where you realistically are because you, Scott brought up the possibility that Tennessee is maybe a better team. Um, the one thing that Tennessee didn't do this week is Butch Jones didn't coach them out of a loss. And they've been in this same game yeah. four weeks and they've lost three of those four. So more Georgia bad luck, man. Yeah. We did. We got the one week that Butch Maybe Davis so. did not screw everything. Well, he didn't have the opportunity to, even yeah. though he punted the ball back to us. I thought, yeah. oh, here goes Butch Jones putting yeah. the ball away when he should go for fourth down. Yeah. But you know, it ended up working out for him. All right, it's probably time to get to the games. We've yeah, been, uh, let's we, get to uh, the games. It's worth knowing. A it little, was very cathartic. Yes, a little housekeeping. Uh, poor Scott. Ordinarily, uh, we do this on Tuesday nights, and and he's got more time to put this together because of the D- Democratic debate and because of the Cardinals' loss yesterday. I couldn't do this until Wednesday, so he's got a shorter turnaround this time. Which I'm so, which is why Scott was not so much in, uh, um, joining in our last conversation as much as looking at us and saying, are you guys about done? Because I have to edit this shoot tomorrow. <laughs> so we apologize for that rant, Scott. I do feel like it was an important It was. I feel better. I have to assume yeah. you're going to go to like minute 26 and just cut off everything. Oh, I did <laughs> yeah. record, guys. I don't Sorry. know what happened. I, I could always say that. I have that in my back pocket. I haven't used it yet. <laughs> yeah. It's the pocket detail. Is this where the pregnant pause happens unintentionally? Yes. <laughs> Royals take the lead 3-2. Are you serious? Yeah, just, wow. You know what I would like to hear? Since you do cover the Republican debates, I would like a quick take from Will on the Democratic debate that we saw. I actually watched some of it last night. It felt, regardless of your personal politics, a lot more in control than the Republican debate, which I think speaks a lot. I think it, I think it helps, to be mm-hmm. honest. Like, yeah, It's funny because the big moment where... Bernie Sanders said, we're tired of hearing about your damn emails. Right. It was actually a gaffe. Yeah, I've read something today where they were like, he doomed his uh, candidacy. It was, well, it was a mistake. What he, was, what he meant to say was he was trying to speak to voter exhaustion. and this Pro- is We have better, bigger things to talk about. Yeah, and this is why it's a problem with you, Hillary, yes. Yes. is that because you represent this endless conversation that Ooh. won't stop. But because Bernie Sanders is whatever your thoughts about him as a person or as, as a, as whether you believe, agree with him or whether you don't, he's not actually an incredibly talented politician. No. So because of that, <laughs> he flubbed his line. Yes. And so what he did was he said he something. He waited 45 minutes for that line to happen. Yeah, and, and, and he still flubbed went. it. And then Hillary was like, Hillary was like, oh, thank you. I will hit this fastball, this softball right out of the park. Meanwhile, he, meanwhile the, Jim Webb's waiting 10 minutes for something. Yeah, so for me, like the, the thing with that debate, on one hand, there, it was the to me the most obvious thing was again whatever you think about everyone's politics on this, it's very obvious that Hillary Clinton is the only serious uh, candidate for president president on that stage. Like, Unless Biden gets in, Biden's not getting in. Like to me, it's it, too late. It's too late. Like last night was a pretty great sign of why it's too late. Yeah. Biden's what Biden needs to see to get in is Hillary not being in control of the situation. Yeah, Hillary. Killed it last time. Whatever you'd like, whether you, whether, even if she said, if you disagree with every single thing that she said, she was the only person that looked like it, that she'd be actually president. She only person that looks like she truly prepared. And she was the only person that really, like she was just in charge of everything that happened last night. As an example, take Trump. Like everyone was, theoretically speaking, Hillary had 
the center of attention. Everyone's looking at her and maybe going after her. Everyone's like, how does this, how does Webb deal with Hillary? How does O'Malley deal with Hillary? That was where they all were with her last night. She parried that beautifully. She handled it incredibly well. Trump turned it into this thing where everyone's yelling at each other and everyone, there's this big chaos. If I am a, if I'm a Republican, I look at that debate last night and I'm like, we need to get control again because we, we have to be serious. We need to start getting serious about because that Democratic debate last night was a sign that the Democrats all told whatever our thoughts about Sanders and whatever weaknesses Hillary has deep down, they're going to nominate Hillary and they're all going to support her. Yeah. So like to me, the concern that Republicans should have is they need to get their act together because there's going to be other Democratic debates and maybe Sanders is going to try a little harder to knock her down. But it's very clear that the chaos that's going on in the Republican Party is not going on in the Democratic Party. And therefore, everyone that Hillary was able to look like a grown up last night in a way that Jeb Bush has not been allowed to. And Marco Rubio has not been allowed to. Her pantsuit looked fantastic. Too. Well, she's a pantsuit person. You know, I mean, like to me, like, you know, I mean... <laughs> You know, at a certain level, I mean, you know, if she were wearing a dress, we'd mock her for that. Yeah, you know, I mean, true. like. So, what's your prediction on the actual Republican versus Democrat nominee? Uh, well, I think it's a Democrat. I don't think there's any question uh, okay, that Democrat so is going to be Hillary. I don't who's who's the Republican? Question. If you had to predict right now, <sighs> if I actually had to predict, if you're really going to, and I, to me, this is like as sure as I am in Hillary being the nominee, is as unsure I, as I am in the Republican side. Uh, like even last time when it felt like chaos, you always knew that Romney just needed to not screw up and he was going to get it. Now you just don't know which way it's going to turn. Like to me, it comes down like when you look at the numbers for Bush and the numbers for Rubio and the numbers for Kasich, like these are the establishment candidates and they're all getting like three or four percent, five percent, two percent, very low numbers. But the establishment is still a large part of the Republican Party. Eventually, they are going to show up. And eventually, they are going to find a candidate and pick that person. Maybe that's not enough to beat Trump. Maybe that's not enough to beat Carson. Maybe that's not enough to beat Fiorina. But I think it ultimately will be. I think it, I still, after all this time, still think it's between Bush and Rubio. Yeah, I which really is funny considering they're from the same state. They're from and the same state and, and they're like friends. That's the part. And, that, and that's yeah. the part that really. If one or the other were in the race, it's almost a it's almost fait accompli in my mind. I feel like Bush needs to make Bush is in a weaker position than Rubio, in that Bush is Bush needs to do something. Yeah. Rubio can wait this out. Rubio can still kind of be the grown up, which is funny because he's so young. <laughs> yeah. But he can be like the grown up in this situation and wait for everyone to stop punching each other out because eventually the Carson backlash is coming. The bar- Carson backlash is coming. Fiorina is still not like She's doing well, but she's not like taken over the way that everyone thought in the wake of the last debate she was going to. And Trump is still Trump. And that's its own almost ecosystem going on. So if Trump becomes the nominee, like at that point, the Republicans get what they deserve as far as I'm concerned. And 100 percent. And and if they've really comes down, if Trump ends up being the nominee of the Republican Party for the nomination, I mean, they're going to get killed and they will deserve it. I would just hope that if he does become the nominee, that when you're covering one of these, you know, Republican Democrat debates, when it's Hillary versus Trump, I would hope that you could get a question or something just so Trump can call you a disaster. <laughs> yeah, I was actually <laughs> disappointed because I wrote, I thought I was really hoping I was going to get a comment on my Trump piece from Mobile. 
Like I really thought I was that gonna... Will Leach. He's he's a disaster. He's, yeah, come on away. Come what on a way. loser! I wanted a loser so bad. I mean, the only I wanted a loser. How so much bad. would you love an insult on the record by Donald oh, Trump for to God's you? Sake. Every, at this point, it's becoming a journalistic badge of honor. I make I make you a cake. Oh, it would Seriously. be fantastic. Be I mean, the, the only well, thing I'm surprised he hasn't put two and two together and realized that I'm the guy that started Deadspin and I'm writing about politics from Bloomberg. I keep because he he's, famously hates yes, Deadspin. He does. I'm surprised that he's not. Oh, it's put coming. Two and two together. It's coming. Yeah. It's going to happen at Des Moines or somewhere awesome like that. I want it so yeah. bad. And I and listen, I actually feel like I'm like I, again. You know, I, I talk about how Republicans get what they deserve with Trump. I actually feel like the Trump phenomenon has been very kind of misunderstood by the mainstream press and like uh, they've turned it in to Trump's just some dummy entertainer. I actually do think it's more than that. And I think Trump speaks to a general frustration with the system and is an effective communicator and not as maybe not qualified to be president, but a smarter guy than he's given credit for. Did you call but, him Don? Don. Me, 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 Donnie, and, Donnie. me and Detro. Detro. Nice. But, uh, but uh, so certainly I, I give him more credit than I think he's sometimes given. But I also think that if if he is legitimately the nomination for the nominee for the Republican Party, it is they will deserve the drubbing that they will get. In the same way that if the Democratic Party actually nominated Sanders, they yeah, would they deserve, deserve what they, get. they would deserve the Trump the the, yeah. the 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 drubbing that they would get. So my last question is I saw a Fox News poll, take that for what it's worth, that if Hillary's the nominee, that Trump beats her. Yeah, but that's a lot of that's name. We're so early in. I mean, it's a like, Fox News poll. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, at this point, well, Fox News poll one way. I'm sure Stephen would probably have a similar poll. Sure. Just because it's name recognition and Hillary, it's you know she's still a polarizing figure right. in a lot of ways. Like, remember, for a long, long period of time, Hillary was destroying Obama. Like, yeah. even when yeah. even when it was obvious that Obama had the momentum and had everything moving in his direction. There's still a name recognition thing. There's still a like at this point the, the election is still 13 months away. Yeah. We actually oh, still yeah. haven't actually cast any votes yet. To me, I thought that, we were voting this November. Well, we we are voting, but <laughs> no, not I'm for just the president. <laughs> so this is the military time. I thing. was hoping, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't Illinois. We're not voting three or four times. Okay. Um, well, maybe but, maybe on okay. the off week we'll talk yeah. politics. How about yeah. Well, the only takeaway nonpartisan had, politics. The only the only takeaway I had last night is I really love Lincoln Chafee and all those uh, every every which way but loose movies. Those were awesome. I love the, I love the time where Jim Webb like just at the Democratic primary where everyone's talking about Black Lives Matter and peace and uh, and and who didn't didn't did not vote for the Iraq War says my favorite moment where I made an enemy was the guy that threw a grenade at me and I killed his ass. Like that was I have to say the Democratic Party primary but Jim, was kind but, of but, awesome. But Jim I mean Jim Webb's always been Jim Webb is a badass. Like whatever Jim Webb is a yeah, badass. He is a total badass. So like to me I have to say there was a little like at a peace love and harmony Democratic rally to see a little moment of Jim Webb to be like so you know I could destroy I, everyone on the I stage a man in, in a half Omaha. a second. Yeah. Yeah, it, was, a man in it was a little moment of realness and uh, and, and otherwise somewhat fake event and so you the only person you didn't mention was martin o'malley is that his name um, martin o'malley yes this, this, i can't i'm not talking about martin o'malley, poor martin o'malley you know. i practice law in maryland i'm not talking about martin <laughs> o'malley. Okay. yeah i think that uh, i remember esquire did a did a cover story on martin o'malley um about uh seven or eight years ago about he was america's next mayor that was going to make all the difference in the world snake oil salesman y'all yeah I, that, you. I think that's not an uncommon thought about him in the state of maryland interesting okay Games! Segwaying from Maryland to UCLA versus Stanford. Yes, it's our games. Well, I feel like we should have like a... Oh, I can definitely add a sound yeah. effect in. Yeah, sound so, effect. Sound so, sound okay, we'll pause. We'll pause. Here comes the sound effect. 
There we go. Feel free to use that. But just, you know, I got a trademark, so you got to pay whatever. All right, so this is really, I mean, I'm not going to lie. This is troublesome to me. 2230, uh, 10.30 kickoff? Yeah. That is yeah. late. So it's only 7.30 there. That is so late. That's very late. That is so late because the majority of the population is on East Coast or Central. Well, I feel times. like no one gets to complain about West Coast games after that Mississippi-Alabama game. I think that's right. I like. Yeah, I completely agree. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or this week, we kick off at 7.30. Yeah. That's the ESPN. We're not walking out of the stadium until midnight. Yeah. Not happening. Yeah. I don't think my boy, my boys are going with me. They're nine and seven. You heard them last week on the podcast. I honestly don't think they've ever seen midnight. I mean, because even oh, on New Year's Eve, they've they passed out or fall, passed out. That's oh. a horrible choice of words. They've fallen asleep at like eleven thirty or something. <laughs> I've never mind. It's a funny thing about childhood. Like I see midnight so much less now that I see yeah. children. Honestly, it's just a thing that it does yeah. for both of them. Yeah. So where is that game played? It's in Stanford. It's UCLA Stanford. UCLA or Stanford's favored. Who you got? Stanford. I'm taking UCLA. I'm, maybe it's just because their only loss is Northwestern, and you know how I feel about Northwestern. Go Cats. Go Cats. But uh, I am still – I still can't quite believe in Stanford. I'm taking UCLA. All right. I'm going to take Stanford. Next game, 12 o'clock, Iowa, mm-hmm. who – It's time to start talking to your kids about 12 and Yes, I know. This is the solid verbal thing. Iowa's at Northwestern? Yep. Go Cats. Iowa's favored. This is – Clear and you know Stuart Mandel actually acknowledged this. What we've all been talking about for a while in his mailbag this week, twelve and zero is so on the table for Iowa. It really is. This is actually the toughest game they have left because they don't play Ohio State. They don't play Michigan State. They, they play Illinois and Michigan. Iowa City. Like they, they they like the three great teams in the other side of the, in, so the conference. They don't play until they until the Big Ten championship game, which means if they win this game. They've already won at Wisconsin. They've already beat the other dangerous Illinois. All they have is Nebraska over Thanksgiving. If they win this and win that game, they are going 12-0. and And? And I think they're going to beat Northwestern, and I think Iowa is going to— we're going to be looking at Iowa playing at Northwestern the day after Thanksgiving for the very real possibility. Look at the schedule. At Nebraska. At, North, at Nebraska. At, North, at Northwestern, home against Maryland, at Indiana, home against Minnesota, home against Purdue. Like, Illinois could win all those games. Iowa's definitely winning those games. And then the day after Thanksgiving, they play at Nebraska. If We're going to be watching that game to see if Iowa, who by that point will be in the top 10. Yeah. At that point, they will be in the top 10 to see if they are they are a national championship team. Can you leave out a 12-0 Iowa if they beat Ohio State, Michigan, or Michigan State, whatever team they see in that, they've got to be in the playoffs. In Indianapolis? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They've the got to be in the playoffs. playoffs. Yeah. Absolutely. That's crazy. That's something I'm doing. I am not willing to say there's a world that I can live in and my kids can be raised in where <laughs> Iowa goes that that record. But it doesn't happen until they travel to Bloomington. No, I'm going like to the Bloomington loss. I'm going to pick be Iowa. Yeah. Iowa as well. All right. Moving on. Southern Cal. <laughs> Y'all want to get into this mess? Uh, Southern Cal at Notre Dame. Notre Dame's favorite, of course. What do you think? This feels like a rebound game for Southern Cal. Do you want to talk about Sark? Southern Cal big. Southern Cal big. I I don't know if I can quite do it, though. They've dealt with chaos before. In fact, they played a lot better after the Kiffin bus thing. That's because they had Coach O. Yeah, that's true. Rah, 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 football. <laughs> I'm still, I'm, I'm picking their name. I feel like they are, like, is one thing to have your coach fire on a bus is another thing to go what they've, go through what they've gone through this week. I'm picking Notre Dame. You got Notre Dame? No, no Southern Cal. Oh, you picked Southern Cal? I did. Well, I watched the, um, 
Inside Notre Dame football on Showtime or whatever. yeah, it's on Showtime. Yeah. It was I haven't watched. That. I hear it's. I hear it's good. It was really good. Is you know kind of a better version of what HBO does in my opinion. But um, a couple of the guys they highlighted. My wife was you know painting her nails or something. She glanced up at the TV. She's like, "Oh, what are you watching?" I was like, oh, "It's some Inside Notre Dame." She's like, "These guys are very attractive." You know, so I'm going to go with Notre Dame because my wife liked. Notre Dame's players. I'm sure USC has no attractive players. By by that metric, you're picking Texas Tech every week. Oh yeah, she she knows about uh, Coach Kingsbury. Huh. No, uh, just don't introduce her to Bill Cubitt. <laughs> 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 uh, I'm out, y'all. I'm yes. out. He must be a handsome he man. Is. He is. One way of putting it. That's one way of putting it. Absolutely, way of looking at it's it. It's like getting getting like uh, like attracted to like oh, Statler and Walter from the Muppets. Yeah, it's like granddad oh. body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> wait, wait. I've watched the Muppets for my entire life. I never knew those two old guys Statler had and names. Yeah, Statler yeah. and Waldorf. Yeah. I just knew them as old guys up in the Statler balcony. Statler and Waldorf. I've actually watched the new Muppets on ABC. Not any good. I actually am okay with it. the first. It, once you get past the weirdness of wait, so Kermit is has like a regular job and they all have regular jobs and they're sad about. Have the y'all not watched jobs. the movies? Yeah, I mean, I accept it. I kind of like it. Well, I, I made the mistake of recording it and saying, "Hey guys, the Muppets are on." It was very like it's not low a kids brow. Thing. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely not a kids thing. No, it's I'm adult. A, yeah, yeah, it's for adults, and I understand yeah. why. But like you know, many have made the argument the Muppets were always for for adults. <laughs> like if you even look at the old Muppet show, there's double entendres. Like I understand what they were trying to do. They're trying to do <laughs> a Muppet show for today. So I have to say, I actually have come around on the show and kind of like. Well, Jim Henson did seventies drugs, not not, yeah. not two thousand fifteen. <laughs> have you drugs. seen the Dark Crystal? Yes, like, the Dark Crystal is the yeah, there's lots of was going on, actually. On. Okay, By the uh, way, Kristen's gonna be very excited. We mentioned Dark Crystal in this podcast. Oh yeah, Dark so Crystal. we've mentioned a couple things that are really off the wall. Dark Crystal. What was the thing I mentioned earlier? <laughs> I don't know. That was a long time ago. Uh, man. This all bells and whistles. I'm, I'm <laughs> drinking full bourbon. Uh, Pitt. Pitt. I'm sorry. I was gonna about to say Pittsburgh, but I know they're Pitt. They're Pitt. Pitt at Georgia Tech. Tech's favorite. I'm the dummy that keeps thinking Georgia Tech I is going to figure They're going to come out. around. I do. I don't know why. I keep thinking it. I picked Georgia Tech again, but I'm an idiot for doing so. Let's look at Pittsburgh's record. They're four. I know they're one. four and one. Who have they played? Youngstown State. The, the Mighty Bofalini. The Mighty Bofalini. What was the score of that Iowa game? They barely lost, but they lost by three. To potential playoff team, Iowa. I'm picking the Panthers. <laughs> yeah. I'm in. You lose to Iowa. I'm, you, I'm going the – Oh, my God. I can't believe I just did that on the base of Iowa winning. I know. I'm going the Georgia Tech train. I've been on them all year, and I've might lost well ride every that week. Horse in the dirt. Yeah, I might as well. Um, Michigan State at Michigan. That's what a game cool game. Is. What yeah. a cool game. Like, it really is. It, I can't yeah. believe the line, though. Have you seen the line? It's seven and a half for Michigan. Well, they've That's, got three straight shutouts. Yeah, they've had three straight shutouts against three really lousy offensive teams. And, like, all told... Did they get Randy Edsel fired? I mean, Randy Edsel, Randy Edsel got is, himself yeah. fired. But okay. certainly, yeah, I mean, be, uh, BYU is the... Imp- That's, That's an impressive shutout. I know everyone's down in Michigan State. I know they have not looked great. There was a reason everyone was high with the team. They really have not, even the games where Michigan State struggled, they've all been against teams that they have not been able to get up for. They will clearly be up for this game. I'm actually picking Michigan State in this game. I'll take the Spartans as well. I'm going to go with um, the Wolverines. Yeah. No, Most of the world's no on your reason. side on this one. Yeah. Most of the world's on your side on this one. Louisiana Tech at Mississippi State. 13 and a half, I believe, for Mississippi yep. State. Here's the thing. Louisiana Tech scores points. Look at their look at their schedule. Hey, I saw, I saw them in the – They uh, score points. I mean, they put up a bunch of points – 
I saw them in the Heart of Dallas Bowl last year. I've yeah, been through what, it. What was it that scored against Kansas State? Like 33. 35-33. Um, you know, I put this game on there because it has the potential to be a really struggle game for Mississippi State, not because that they can't they can't beat them, just because Louisiana Tech is going to put points on the board. And for Mississippi State to beat them, they're going to have to score 30. And their offense has been good, but it really is one-dimensional with Dak Prescott. Um, that being said, it's really hard for me to get my head around the possibility that Mississippi State, with the talent they have, offensively in particular, with Dak Prescott, they're going to lose to Louisiana Tech. I'm picking Mississippi State, but it is going to be a barn burner. I, I'm 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 less sold on it being a barn burner. I think they're going to wipe them out. They're going to be five and two. They're game away from bowl eligibility. Wow. The team that was picked universally to be last. Yeah, yeah. yeah it may been, actually still be last. I'm not <laughs> saying they're not. Right. I'm just right. saying, yeah. Right. Yeah, they've been impressive this year, so I'm going to go with <clears throat> Mississippi State. Even in their losses, they've been impressive. Mississippi, Ole Miss. Ole Miss, wow, they're traveling to the Liberty Bowl. Yes. This probably doesn't happen very, very often, even though yeah. they're close. Yeah. No, they they play. I mean, Memphis is like considered. But, but they, they play make, regular. That's their backyard. But they make yeah. Memphis come to them, right? They don't go to the Liberty Bowl often, do they? Yeah, I have no idea what they're ranked. No, they're I like, feel like Mississippi they, think, Memphis play yeah. pretty regularly. Yeah, they, they, they. I mean, it's from an hour to twenty minutes. Right, yeah. they play, but they play in Oxford. No, I, I think they do. Really? Home home. Yeah, no. I think I think that I think they actually. I, mean, I, think, I don't. I don't. I think it's a tradition. I mean, it's nearly a home game for Mississippi. Yeah, yeah, that would make sense. It's like and what Tennessee would my, do when they would play Memphis. My friend Will Haraway, who was at my party last weekend, is a diehard Cardinals fan, diehard Mississippi guy. Likes mm-hmm. actually likes yeah, the Giants him. just because Eli went there. Huh. So like he is a Mississippi dude, tried and true. He the Memphis game freaks him out every year. It should. And then Memphis this is year, good this year. This year it should. Yeah. Memphis's defense is actually legit. Yeah. You know Memphis is good because they're the undefeated. Memphis, yeah, this the Memphis coach is uh is the dream guy for Illinois to get, but not anyone they actually have a chance of actually getting. Right. No. I still think Mississippi the, the, there's just too much talent. As as good as good as they have looked and and as good as undefeated as they are, I just Mississippi's just got so much talent. I think they'll run over. Memphis it's is not, scoring some points. It's another barn burner, but Mississippi wins. Yeah, I agree. I'll go with Ole Miss. Vandy, uh at Who's coaching South Carolina this week? This is not uh, Sean, Lock- Sean Elliott. Yes, yeah, not Who's Loxley. Loxley's is he the basketball the player team. from the Spurs? Not that Sean Elliott. Not that Sean okay. Elliott. <clears throat> and, um, <laughs> you mean the Spurs in 1999? Yeah. It's nice that we'll get a definitive answer who is, in fact, the worst team in the SEC. Right. And I think it's South Carolina. I, I agree. So I think Vanderbilt's going to win this game. Oh, I don't agree. I'm picking South Carolina. <laughs> Vanderbilt and their defense is going to finally come through for me. You've been, yeah, you've been on the defense. If you look of at if you look at these teams, what's the strongest unit? Out of well, see, all? I, I think, think it's that, clearly Vanderbilt's defense. I, I think, oh, yeah, clearly. I think that if Spurrier was there, I might would pick Vanderbilt, but I think the the, the team is going to be inspired and want to do it for Coach Spurrier, unless they all hate him now because he left them. I think it's really funny how like everyone's just all just been like. Whatever Spurrier can leave whenever he can. Like if any but other Spurrier coach, gets to do that. I and see. I have to say that I find that kind of fascinating because I think you're right. But it is kind of weird in any other context. A coach leaving his team. In no, the you're right. The season we would be excoriating him. For yeah, because I, I heard I heard Colin Cowherd today on his podcast well, talk your, about that was your first mistake. Okay, well I'm I was tuned I'm in. I'm with Will. <laughs> but I anyway, heard, go ahead. But I heard Cowherd and he was he brought it up and I was thinking oh he's gonna. Cream Spurrier for leaving. He was like, good for him. You know, he's a good guy. He's 70. He can do what he wants to do. And I'm like, I was surprised that he went with that take. But uh, I would say, generally speaking, if he would have done like a wacky dance, he would like want to nail him to the cross. 
Uh, but anyway, um, cornball is word I think you should. Yes, exactly. But uh, but I to me I, I get it. like I actually I actually I'm not going to say this very often. I actually kind of agree with that. I understand that Spurrier is. Kind you of agree earned. with Colin Cowherd? I agree with the notion that Spurrier is maybe not doing the worst thing in the world by leaving the in the middle of the season. Oh, no, I mean he's all totally probably should have just not come back this year. Right, but Spurrier also you called has it been earlier. Very, yeah. yeah. That he's just going to drop the mic and walk out. I think he was upset with my interview with him. <laughs> yeah. It could be. It could be your interview. It could be, or it could be. Um, I think he realizes. Look, he fired. He 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 fired a future husband winning quarterback in midseason. He's not afraid to walk away and say, Never I don't have it anymore." Yeah. Jesse Palmer won the Heisman. No, we're we're just we're I, I know. I know. All right, uh, best hair in football. He's a handsome man. Don't even start. <laughs> Alabama at AM. This game is awesome. I have to say, this is like the type of SEC game I'm really excited yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah. This is like totally fun. Because the question is, did Texas, has Texas AM, like, is is the defense, is Chavis fixed the defense? No. Like, what? Like, has he fixed the defense? No. Here's my question for you. No. No, he's definitely not. Definitely not. I mean, he has fixed the defense some, yeah. but I mean, yeah. Not he, enough to be If the engine's running now, it's not ready to run yeah. a race. Yeah. Well, well the, most they've, the most they've given up is 27 points, and that was against Nevada. Yeah, I not think, bad. Well, pretty I mean, good defense. Yeah, that's still. We've given good. up thirty-eight the past two weeks. I think we spent forty-five minutes talking about defense. <laughs> Here's a question: Texas A&M. We bring up that schedule back again. Um, Texas A&M schedule. They've got they've got South Carolina, Auburn, West Carolina, Vanderbilt. Games are all going to win theoretically. Mm-hmm. Of those, th- here's my predict- Here's my question: Alabama at Mississippi at LSU. Is Texas A&M going to lose all three of those games? They're going to lose two or three. Two or three. They'll pick off one, but not, but not Alabama. No, they're not going to be. No, I think Alabama wins. I don't think they're quite dynamic enough offensively. As much as the defense has improved, I feel like they don't actually have enough of a spark to beat Alabama this game. Yeah, I think yes. that's right. Now I have a question for you for this yeah. next game. Will Jim McElwain's hair be able to beat LSU? Not by itself. Without Will Greer. Are we talking about? Are we talking about full size hair or tiny hairs? Um, yeah, this this game. I mean, it's really going to be. I think this. This is our key of getting back in the SEC championship. I, I, this game has the potential to be kind of an ugly grind them out game of you know seventeen. Fournette's just going to seventeen fourteen. Like Fournette's not going to get two hundred yards, but he's going to get enough yardage to make Florida not be able to score points because they're just going to let him grind up the clock. They're going to have you know they're going to have six. They're going to have six four minute drives. That's twenty four minutes of the clock right there. Um, this I game think, is on at the same time as the George Missouri game, right? Yes, yes, yes. LSU wins. Yeah, I think LSU wins as well. I will say, if Florida wins this game, yeah, we are thinking very differently about yeah. everything that's going on. There. Yeah, just shut the door. Yeah, if LSU. If, if LSU beats Florida, I mean, if Florida beats LSU. Uh, you know, the very best we can hope for is to backdoor into the Chick Fil A ballers. Well, I mean, regardless of how it even. Affects, oh yeah, because yeah. after LSU, I mean, yeah, it's, it's yeah. us and Florida and State, Vanderbilt, and but regardless, South I mean, I'm saying regardless of even, like regardless of even how it affects Georgia, if Florida wins this game, they've got a like they are in the Iowa. Path. They are legitimate. Like Georgia's their they tough, are yeah. a legitimate yeah. playoff team without question. You win at LSU, yeah, then this year yeah. with with Fournette, yeah, no question, yeah. I don't think it's going to happen either. I don't either. So should SEC teams play on Thursday nights, Tony? Because mm-hmm. Auburn is playing at Kentucky. Only yeah. if you're South Carolina. I hope everyone hears Auburn this in time. Kentucky. I hope everyone hears this in time. Yeah, I know. Only Ken- only if you're South Carolina, the first game of the season. Yeah, or Kentucky. Kentucky can play. It's Auburn night. too. I I it's I just, feel like Kentucky can play on a Thursday night. Okay, well, yeah, Kentucky can. But they should play an SEC team. Yeah, they, yeah, they should. That should be the Louisville game. 
Yeah, why yeah. not? Yeah. Sure, yeah. sure. So are you angry at Auburn for scheduling a Thursday night away game? How would you feel if this was Georgia playing an away game on a Thursday night? <laughs> I wouldn't want to leave the conference. That would be unfortunate. <laughs> that would be no question. That would not be fun. So who's going to win? I'm picking Auburn. I have to say that, like, I know that Kentucky's moving in the right direction, and it's fun to, like, kind of poo on Auburn right now. There's still a lot of talent on that team. I still think Auburn is. Is it fun to poo on Auburn, Tony? C-A-T-S. Cats, cats, cats. That's the only time you'll ever get me to do that cheer. So you're taking Kentucky. Taking Kentucky. I'm going to take Kentucky as well. All right. And, oh, is there a game? Is that all the games? Now, yeah, that's it. Okay. So, yeah, okay. I'll go home. All right, Tony, kick us off. Here's what I think happens. Missouri's defense is good. The path for Missouri to win this game is it requires them to play more competently on offense than they showed against Florida last week. And actually probably more competent than they showed two weeks ago. I don't believe they can do that. I think Georgia corrects some of the gaffes they had in defensively because I think there's going to be a reversion to the mean. Because I think our defense is somewhere between the way we played last week and the way we played against South Carolina even and even Vanderbilt. Um uh, you know, offensively, who knows what we're going to do? I and mean, we've scored 21 offensive points against Vanderbilt, right? 24 offensive points, uh, 24 offensive points against Tennessee. Uh, 24 offensive points feels like enough to win this football game this week. I think we win. I think it's going to be, I think we're going to walk away with happy with the win, but unhappy that it didn't look pretty. I think at this point, Georgia has no business. Being happy or unhappy on how they get their win, they just need <laughs> take to take a happy their win. and get out of there. Yeah, and uh, maybe later, maybe maybe we can decide whether that, that win over Georgia Tech was exciting enough. But right now, Georgia needs a win. <laughs> like Georgia needs a win bad because if they if this is a game that they lose at home to Missouri, think about the loss two years ago to Missouri at home. That was disturbing, but it also felt like there was Missouri was having a year. Like Missouri was having things fall their way. Things were going well for them then. Right now, imagine what it looks like if Georgia loses a home in Missouri right now. People are freaking out already. They freak out. Georgia loses this game. Everybody's losing their mind. I do not think they're going to. Uh, I think this this is a game I actually feel like Lambert's going to be all right in this game. I actually trust him more than I trust the opposing quarterback. To me, that's enough. I, I'll pick Georgia as well. Had we beat Tennessee last week, I would have predicted this would have been a whole lot more hyped up and we would have come out in black jerseys for it being a night game. But we're just going to take business as usual, red jerseys, nothing special. We're going to save that for Kentucky or maybe Georgia Southern. I think I mentioned that in the Don't past podcast. Don't ever say our red jerseys aren't special. Okay. No, they are. They are. They're very special. <laughs> You didn't see this, but Tony just jumped across the yeah, table. He about he's got his hands around my neck, and and I do. That was kind of a faux pas because I'm a Georgia fan and I understand the red jersey thing. Anyway, I'm I'm sticking to my shtick. There we go, the jersey thing. Anyway, Georgia's going to win. It's going to be you know pretty easy come the fourth quarter. We're going to be like high five and turn around, going like, hey, we finally got back on track. So I say about ten points, but it won't seem that close. That's I'll nice. take that. I would yeah. absolutely take that. I would absolutely take that. And uh, Take that to the bank. So there we and are. cash it. No, so so basically are. a win but not cover. Right. <laughs> right. I can't what believe we're 16 and a half. I have assumed that's gone down. That's, I'm actually yeah. going to look at the most recent one right now and see what the, what, the, what the actual odds are. According to ESPN, the odds on that game are Georgia by – still by 16. Because if I were a betting man and I'm not – 
Georgia, I would pick. I would be all over Missouri. You lay, oh, the, you lay those points all over the place. Yeah, absolutely, There's no question. I yeah. would be feeling great about picking. Missouri but then I'd back it up with a Georgia money line bet. But I've never, <laughs> I've never bet on sports. I don't know what I'm talking about here, but uh, you really need to fade the under. Is that the trifecta? Is you fade the, the trifecta. Let's fade the exacta. If the if the under is forty, I like 42. the Georgia exacta. I think yeah, I would tease it up a couple te- points, but I have no idea what I'm te- talking about. Take some, take some early steam. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right so, so basically, we've covered the state of the Georgia program after after six games at the halfway point. Yes. We've covered the Democratic and Republican uh, primary races. Yes. And we've also gone through the Pac-12, yes. the Big Ten, and the SEC. We've talked about everything but Illinois football, but only because they're off this Oh, board. and how awesome Josh is. Yeah. Josh from the last Josh podcast. Josh from the last yeah, podcast. Absolutely. That guy. Totally cool. That guy. So thanks for joining us for this episode. It's been a long one. Um, I'm going to be up all night editing Yeah, it. sorry, man. Actually, you know what? I should probably move this to the front of the episode, which I can do because I edit it. But this is going to be a lightly edited episode. Yeah. So you're going to hear Tony say a, a few more ums. You're going to hear Will you know, try to find his words a few more times. And I'm going to have these little pregnant pauses that continue on and on a couple more times because I'm just not going to edit it as is, uh, to me, that's natural, man. That's what a podcast is. Yeah. Just, uh, just some people sitting in a room talking. It's the glory of podcasts. Yeah, exactly. All right. All right. Go dogs. Drop go the dogs. mics. And thanks for listening. Make sure to tune us in this coming Monday for our Georgia versus Missouri postgame show. This podcast can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, and the Georgia Sports Blog. As I mentioned last show, we've received some amazing feedback from our listeners on iTunes. If you could take a few moments to rate and review our show, that would be awesome. Hit us up on Twitter at WSLS Podcast. Individually speaking, you can find Tony at Tyler Dogden. That's D-A-W-G-D-E-N. Will is at William F. Leach, and that's Leach spelled L-E-I-T-C-H. And mine is at Jawavi Films. That's J-A-W-A-V-I Films. And that's all we got. So good luck to your teams this week. Go dogs, and we'll see you on campus.